of God's word. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Our New Testament reading is in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of the Lord. Please join me in prayer for the word. Lord, we thank you for your word that is unchanging, that is eternal, the gift that you have given to us, Lord, to know your will and to know, Lord, your heart. And so, Father, we, as we approach your word and hear your word, we pray that you would, you know, free us from any distraction, Lord, that our hearts may and our minds may fully be focused on your word. Teach us, Lord, your ways. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we discussed the fullness of God and what it meant to be filled with all the fullness of God. And so this week, if you look at the title of the sermon, you'll notice that it's very similar. It's not the same, but it's very similar. We're going to talk about the fullness of Christ. And in chapter 3, which we read last week in Ephesians, Paul talks about this fullness of God, which is revealed to us through Jesus Christ. He sent his son, Jesus Christ, to show us how much he loves us. And so it is through this love of Christ and experiencing this love of Christ that we are able to be filled with all the fullness of God, remembering that Paul also points out to us the mystery of this gospel that was hidden throughout the ages. And Paul says that this mystery of the gospel is that the fullness of God is not only for the Jews, but the fullness of God is for the Jews and the Gentiles, for all nations. And so today in chapter four, 
Paul, he continues by telling us that we must be filled with the fullness of God and attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul says that those who have been saved, those who are filled with all of the fullness of Christ, must now live to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Basically, he is now explaining that those who know God, who have experienced the great love of God through Jesus Christ personally in their own lives, must now live in accordance with God's will. We must now live to be like Jesus Christ, to pursue a life of spiritual maturity that reflects Christ himself. And so this is what leads Paul to open up chapter four with these words. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Paul, of course, uses the phrase to walk deliberately, and he's trying to get the readers to reflect back to what he said in chapter two, which he says in verses one through three. And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the courts of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul makes it a point in chapter two to say that we were all once the children of wrath. He includes himself, a Jew, and he's speaking to primarily Gentile readers. And he says, we are all, we all once walked in this way. But in chapter four, he opens up by saying, but we must no longer walk in this way. Rather, we must walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling of which we have been called. What Paul is saying is that before God sent his son, before he revealed this fullness of God, before we were saved, we were free to walk to our greatest inclinations, to the desires of our hearts. And that desire was to walk in our sin and our trespasses. We were dead in sin and our trespasses, right? So we could not go to heaven. We could not attain salvation. We could not gain any merit before God because we were dead in our sin and trespasses. But Paul says that while we were still dead in our sin, we also walked in the ways of the world. We walked in sin and trespasses. In the same way, Paul, he says that now that you are saved, you are no longer dead in your sin. You are now alive in Christ. Now there's nothing that you can do to not go to heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Yet Paul says, you still must walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have received. Namely, now that we have been saved, we are able to walk freely according to the calling of God. Paul urges his readers, and he urges us, not only to talk the talk and say that we're saved, but to literally walk the walk. You see the 
the pun intended, because he uses water. As Christians who have been filled with the fullness of God, we are now urged no longer to live in the passions and desires of our flesh and our body. But as he says in chapter 2, verse 9, we live created in, the, in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Of course, this notion is not foreign to us. And most of us know that this is the message of the scriptures, that if you love God, if you have received salvation, then you will live like you are saved. Some people might say that their problem with Paul is that he always just talks about grace and he always just emphasizes grace and no deeds. But if you really look in the writings of Paul, this isn't true. He does emphasize salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, yet he also always adds and emphasizes with it that those who have been saved, that their faith will reflect the faith and the salvation that they have received. He even exemplifies this in his own life. As he is writing this letter, he says, I, Paul, a prisoner, urge you. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm not just talking the talk, but even myself, I am trying to live out my life every day to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling that I've received. Now, most Christians understand what Paul is saying, and they understand, and they would agree with what he is saying, that if you're saved, that you should live like you're saved. But it's so hard to do, right? How can we possibly attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? How can we possibly do this, right? I can't even stop getting mad, no matter how hard I try. I can't stop getting mad at the person who keeps cutting me off on the road, right? Let alone become like the fullness of Christ. What is the fullness of Christ? He who was lashed and beaten and mocked he who was falsely accused and crucified while he was innocent. But he didn't retaliate and he even forgave his accusers. How can we become like that? It's hard, I know. And so that's why Paul gives us a little bit of insight. He gives us some, some keys to how we must do this sanctification of our regenerated hearts. And so in chapter four, verses seven through 12, Paul explains that our growing and becoming like Christ, it is interlinked with our unity with his spirit, the spirit of Christ, and also with one another. Paul says that Christ has given through his Holy Spirit, through his spirit, he has given gifts to each of the saints. And it is through these gifts that he has given us that we are to build up the body of Christ, which is the church. Jesus is the one who enables us to accomplish the purpose that he has for the church, which is to receive glory and honor through the heavens and the earth throughout all generations. Jesus is the one who gives us the grace and the gifts necessary to attain to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He says in verses 11 and 12 
And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so Jesus, he equips the body through these different gifts, but he equips all of the saints together to build up the body of Christ. Through the ministry of those who were first called by Christ, they have been used by the Holy Spirit to reveal this gospel message to others. As he says in chapter 1, verse 13, to hear the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believe in him. And it is through this work that is constantly being done through the measure of Christ's gift to all his people that we together are building up this church, this body of Christ, all the saints together until we together attain to the unity of the faith and knowledge of Christ. And so then becoming more like Christ in our daily lives isn't just about trying harder, trying not to get angry, but we become more like Christ when we unite with him and we unite with each other. And Paul emphasizes this in three ways from verses 14 through 16. First in verse 14, he says, we are not to be like children who are tossed to and fro. Paul tells us that the saints must be equipped for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And we become more like Jesus as we grow together in faith and knowledge of Christ. Well, how can we grow together? How can we know how, what Jesus is like if we, if, we, if we don't read the word? It is through the life and ministry of Christ and it is through the word that we know what Christ was like. But Paul says that we must grow together. Of course, there are benefits of personal studies, right, Bible studies. There are, are, are many benefits to a personal life of faith and prayer life. And this we should do. This is good. It is beneficial for us. But Paul is saying here that we should also always strive to grow together. So if God has revealed something to you in your personal faith, then share it with the rest. Don't hog it for yourself. (laughs) Join a Sunday school class or a small group or a Bible study group and seek to attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God together. Because if we are not rooted in Christ together, Paul says, then we will be like children who are tossed to and fro. We will be like children who don't know, who can't discern what is good or what is right. And we will be carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. What Paul is saying here is, if we do not grow together, then we will be divided together. See, the devil gets excited when we say, man, I can grow in Christ by myself. When we say, man, I got a great prayer life, this personal walk with God, I don't really need anybody else. The devil loves that because we trick ourselves into thinking that we're mature Christians when we're actually still children. And so the Hebrew author admonishes his readers in Hebrews 5, 12 through 14. He says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. 
For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And Ephesians 4, Paul tells us that we can do this when we grow together, together in the knowledge of Christ. Secondly, in verse 15, he says, we are to speak the truth in love. Instead of just doing things individually, he says, we are to grow in the faith and knowledge of Christ and grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. So the source is from Christ himself. And he says, instead of being children in our faith and knowledge of God and Christ, instead of fighting each other, he says, grow up. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, grow up. (laughs) Into Christ, of course, into Christ. Paul says that as we speak the truth in love to one another, we grow up into Christ. First and foremost, before any debate and discussion in doctrine, before uh, we have any other discussions in the church, we must all together establish that our firm foundation is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul tells us that it's not our preferences, it's not the building, it's not our traditions that are the truth. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that is the truth. And it is this truth that we are to speak to, to one another in love. And so when a person is in fear, when a person is hurting, when a person is in need, it is our responsibility as the church to come alongside that person and speak the truth of the gospel in love to that person. We don't speak the truth in arrogance. We don't speak condescendingly like we know everything. We don't speak critically or selfishly or out of self uh, ulterior motive. But instead, we speak it in love. And so Peter O'Brien, he remarks, the truth as proclaimed should not be disassociated from love or promoted at the expense of love, while a life of love should embody the truth of the gospel. We grow together when we constantly remind each other and encourage each other with the gospel of Christ. We speak this truth in love because you know what? One day soon, you will be the one who needs this encouragement and this gospel truth to be spoken to you. And we don't want it to be spoken to us condescendingly or critically. We would, we're, we're going to want it to be spoken to us in love as well. And Paul says, this is how we grow together. Thirdly, in verse 16, he says, we are to each work properly to make the body grow. Paul says, we're like a body, that the church is a body with each individual members coming together to join together under the head who is Christ. We are dependent on one another to grow in Christ and mature in him. We cannot grow in the fullness of Christ alone, no matter how holy you are, no matter how many times you come to church, no matter what kind of title you may have, there are no good Christians that do not seek unity within diversity and maturity in Christ throughout the entire church. Remember, Paul describes us as the body of Christ, the temple of the Lord. 
There's not just one member that makes up the body. There's not just one stone that makes up the temple. It is the collective members of the body, the collective stone, the pieces that make up the temple. And so then we, as we receive nourishment and blessings from Christ, we collectively, together, we grow as the body of Christ. If your hand suddenly stops working, or maybe you get hurt, I don't think any of us here, our first uh, thought would be just to chop it off, right? We would get it fixed. We'd go to the hospital, we'd get surgery if needed, but we would fix the hand because we don't just say, oh, I don't need the hand anymore, or I don't need my arm anymore, or I don't need my head anymore. In the same way, we come alongside one another. We serve and we help and we love each other so that we can all work properly together under Christ. Similarly, the hand cannot say, well, I don't need the wrist or I don't need the arm or I don't need the elbow or I don't need the shoulder. I can just do this by myself. We cannot claim that we don't need each other. Paul says we need each other and that's how we grow together. You can't be a Christian in your life and say that you're just growing by yourself. Our confession must constantly be, I am growing in Christ together with my brothers and my sisters and my church. And so Brian states, it is together that believers become more and more like their Lord so that they are fully and completely incorporated into him. The church is the fullness of Christ. It's hard for us to understand what Paul teaches because we live in such an individualistic society and an increasingly individualistic world. And we are taught from birth how to be independent. We're taught how to do things for ourselves, how to live on our own. The society, our culture, even our parents tell us, well, you gotta stop, you gotta stop depending on me. You gotta learn how to do it by yourself because one day mom and dad aren't gonna be here and what are you gonna do then? I'm sure you've used that before. And that's why it's so hard for us to understand this. Because the gospel and the church and what Paul is saying here, the fullness of Christ is is opposite to that. He's saying now you have to depend on Christ. You can't do it on your own. And he's saying you have to depend on one another. You have to depend on your brothers and sisters to grow all together as the body. And so we can tell from scripture that Paul, he was brilliant. He was extraordinary. He was a scholar. He was highly motivated. He was very accomplished in all of his pursuits. But even, and even after becoming a Christian, we see that, man, he went around and he probably hundreds and thousands of people heard the gospel because of him. He planted churches around all over the regions. Yet Paul, Paul is the writer of, of this letter. He is saying His growth even, the great Paul the Apostle is saying that even his growth and his faith is dependent on Christ and his fellow brothers and sisters, the fellow saints. He always strives to serve his brothers and sisters, to serve the fellow Christians. And he depends on them just as much as they depend on him. And so let us be a church that understands and is filled with all of the fullness of God. 
And let us also be a church that attains together the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. As the great theologian and shepherd, Jesus of Nazareth, says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so let us build up the body of Christ through the head who is Christ. And let us not be fooled into thinking that the church is just its pastors or its elders or its deacons or its ministry leaders. We are all together the body of Christ, which means my growth and my faith is as dependent on you as yours is on me. And as we strive together and as we love one another and serve one another, then Christ will be glorified and the world will know and believe that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Son of God, and that we are his disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for...